Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If the Bucks move on from Jameis Winston, do you think Bruce Arians will be back, or is his entire tenure depending on saving Jameis? Will the Bucks start utilizing O.J. Howard more now that half the NFL is asking to trade for him? Now, what will it take for Willie Taggart in Florida State to finally part ways? If Wander Franco is as good as everybody says he is, do they trade him or Willie Adames? We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, before we get started with your questions, just a little bit of news. The Bucks, uh, actually a second Bucks player now, has been suspended by the NFL for violating their policy on performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, this time it was Terry Beckner Jr. He's that seventh-round uh, defensive tackle they drafted from Missouri this year. He had been currently on the practice squad, but he will be eligible to return November 18th, and that's uh, after their Week 11 game against the New Orleans Saints. Remember, the Bucks released linebacker Devontae Bond last week, uh, and then later Bond uh, disclosed on Instagram that he had been suspended for four games for PEDs. So two players now uh, getting popped for PEDs with the Buccaneers. I don't, I don't think it's epi- epidemic maybe to them, but um, certainly not something that uh, you want to go through as a franchise. So I expect Beckner will be back with the team on the practice squad, uh, but we'll have to see. He's not going to play anywhere for about four weeks. All right, Steve, let's get started with the questions. A lot of them on the Buccaneers, as expected. Yes, and we'll start with UK Bucks, who said, Rick, what did we do to deserve that performance in London? Surely Jameis Winston is now drinking in the Last Chance Saloon. (laughs) I'd like to know where that saloon is, quite frankly. I've visited a lot of them. I'm not sure that uh, I've been to that one. Um, But I imagine there's a lot of uh, quarterbacks who have been in Jameis' position, probably see Trent Dofer there, maybe Vinny Testaverde. few guys like that Steve Young who knows look uh, nobody did anything to deserve what happened in London I've always said I, I don't know why we can't have nice things here in Tampa Bay but certainly the Bucks have not had nice things for about 12 seasons you know uh, I really thought they were ready to play it's funny I think I said this on another podcast but when I got over there I visited uh, you know with some people that were close to Bruce Arians that had been at practice and um you know, able to watch practice. We were able to see just a little bit of it. But they said their practice on Friday over there was one of the best they've had all season. So it's really odd, you know, and it just goes to show you you can never really predict necessarily how a team will play based on their practice, but you'd rather have a good one than a bad one. Uh, and there was a lot of energy in the building. You know, I think the way that game started certainly sucked a little bit out of them. But then, you know, they came back and they held Carolina to a field goal after that first play interception. Um, there's no way to know, you know, why, why those games happen, but they've happened with Jameis all too frequently. I mean, there was a lot going into it with two guys missing, uh, on the right side of the offensive line, but that didn't excuse guys like Ali Marpet and Donovan Smith, um, you know, their best blockers getting beat one-on-one and Gerald McCoy getting off for two and a half sacks. Carolina is very, very good. Their defensive line, I think they're second in the NFL in sacks next to New England. Um, so that's not an easy group to handle on your best day. And, and I think there was like probably a, a portion of Jameis that went into that game thinking, I'm not going to have a lot of time to throw. 
maybe a little concerned about his offensive line. And nobody played well around him, you know, that's for sure. We saw drop balls. We saw Mike Evans drop a deep ball and uh, could have done more to prevent the first interception. So it was just like the, the, the perfect worst storm uh, that they could have over there. And it was a, a very partisan Carolina crowd on top of it. So they didn't even have that going for him. But, um, you know, we've seen Jameis have these games before. We've also seen him bounce back. And, uh, you know, the last chance saloon, I, I think – that's sort of, you know, the saloon doors he walked through to start the season. And we're going to see if he's going to walk out of them or not because he's got 10 games, I think, still to prove whether, you know, he's going to get at least one more year. And, uh, you know, like the whole season, I think it's a referendum on, on what Jameis' future is with the Bucks. So um, 10 games to go. We'll, we'll know the answer at least by then. Well, Matt asked, while Jameis Winston is certainly turnover prone, how much do you think jet lag was part of the problem? As someone who has flown several times to places like Tokyo, I'm here to say jet lag is a real thing and affects decision-making. Sports science cannot mitigate all of its effects. Well, I mean, you know, the, the only problem with that is Carolina had to fly just about the same amount of miles. So, you know, it didn't, didn't seem to affect, you know, their young quarterback in Kyle Allen um, the same way. I spent a lot of time with the sports science guys. The, the Bucks are spending like a million dollars on a sports science department. I mean, you know, everybody in the league is looking for an edge, right? What could be our edge? Is it analytics? What about sports science? What about, you know, psychiatrists? I mean, whatever you can think of, the NFL has tried. And I've I talked to those guys, and, and they make a lot of sense. I mean, they, you know, gradually got these guys to uh, at least encourage them to go to bed an hour earlier. And, you know, they had the compression socks and, um, you know, the glasses that they would wear to cut down the effect of Blu-ray so it doesn't change the melatonin and help them get to sleep better. And um, like I said, I mean, if, if jet lag was a problem, I think it probably would have showed up, you know, Friday or Saturday um, before they got to Sunday's game. I, I saw a lot of guys with energy. I didn't see guys dragging necessarily, but every game has momentum. And, you know, I just felt like Carolina was a better team. I mean, Carolina had won three games in a row. You know, the Bucks kind of got it handed to them in New Orleans. They lost the momentum from that Rams victory. They've never really been able to, you know, establish any kind of a of a of momentum. They've, you know, lost one, 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 lost one, 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 that sort of thing. You got to stack wins together, and that's what Carolina had done. So they were the more confident team. They got off to a fast start, which is what you have to do in games. And I just felt that, you know, uh, Jameis was obviously had one of those awful games where he didn't protect the football. I mean, six turnovers is pretty rare, uh, even by his standards, and certainly a disaster. No one's going to win with that many turnovers. So, um, you know, we'll see. But uh, but I, you know, I think I think he I think he knows it's his last chance. I think that's why Bruce Arians is here uh, to see if he can be salvaged. And so. Nothing changes in that regard. Uh, it's it's still a last chance for him. And, you know, the same was true with Marcus Mariota, who um, got benched, you know, uh, with a totally different approach in Tennessee. They actually had a quarterback behind him that had played and won before in Ryan Tannehill. And Tannehill played on Sunday and had, statistically anyway, a very good game. And, and they won the ball game on a goal line stand. So, um, you know, that's – Jameis is going to get every opportunity. You're not going to see Ryan Griffin replace him anytime soon. All right, Les ask, is there any chance that Jameis Winston would be traded if the Bucks lose to the Titans? They would be 2-5, and, and Les doesn't see a way they would make the playoffs, 
And there's so many holes to be filled in the draft and free agency. That would be a radical move. Um, is there a chance? Yeah. Is it less than 5%? Certainly. Probably less than 2%. Um, the trade deadline is coming up really fast. I think it's uh, a week from Tuesday. So, um, you know, in, in that regard, I I just I, I think it's too soon. You'll have one more game at Tennessee. I'm going to assume he's going to play okay there. You know, you would be signaling to your fans. The worst part about it is you'd be basically saying to your fans, you know what, we told you this was not a rebuild, it was a reload. Okay, we're, we're going to now admit that we lied and this is a rebuild. And so we're now going to play a guy who's 29 that has not taken a single snap in the NFL, and that's going to be our starting quarterback for nine weeks. You know, what? Are, who's, sell, who's buying that? So um, I also don't know that there's going to be many teams that are going to give you much for Jameis Winston unless they're in just in dire, dire straits. There are some teams that need quarterbacks. There's been the same talk about Cam Newton in Carolina getting traded. The difference is, I think, you know, Kyle Allen hasn't lost a game uh, as the starter. In fact, he's going to start after the Panthers bye. So, you know, that that would almost seem maybe more likely. Um, you know, maybe a team like Kansas City would be interested in a guy like Cam. I don't, I don't know if they thought Mahomes was going to be out for five or six weeks. Um, but there's there's not a great market for teams that, you know, want to uh, – you know, both give you compensation for a player that they figure if you're willing to trade them, they can get them next year anyway. And secondly, they got to take on a salary, which is, you know, $21 million. Not many teams have any kind of salary cap like that um, to take on a guy in a trade at least. So um, pretty unlikely that uh, the Jameis Winston would be traded. Steve asks, what do you think are the chances of the Glazers not bringing back Jameis Winston next year? I think they're going to be low, but I think regardless of how bad he plays, he will be back for another year under Bruce Arians to see if he can finally turn things around. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting question. and I have said at the beginning of the year that I, I just didn't think that Jameis, that this was a one-year proposition. But having said that, I was going under the assumption that he would play okay. And, and what I mean by that is like he would at least reach his standard of, uh, of maybe, you know, throwing for 4,000 yards, uh, somewhere around 27, 28 touchdowns, maybe maybe 15 interceptions or 14 interceptions. He's on pace to uh, do worse than that uh, in terms of interceptions. So, again, I think everybody's viewpoint is sort of shaken by, like, the last last thing we've seen, which was, you know, a travesty. Um, but I think, you know, the Glazers began this by saying this was a big year for Jameis. I mean, you know, they know what it costs to bring him back on a franchise tender. I I don't think even if he plays well, he's going to get anything more than a one-year franchise tender, but that's even $25 million. So, you know, that's a lot of money to sort of tie up for a guy that hasn't won and you've had him for five seasons. Um, I'm now thinking that, um, you know, it's not an automatic that he's back and, and that it's not an automatic that because Arians is here – he gets two seasons. There's, there's nothing automatic in this game. You know, Bruce Arians isn't guaranteed to come back. And I know that sounds ridiculous as we sit here now, you know, just six weeks into his tenure. But look, I can remember when Lovey Smith, for all the world, after he drafted Jameis Winston in his second year and, and you know, went through his rookie season, um, you know, at one point Jameis was 6-6. Six and six. They lost their last four games. Quan Alexander got hurt. Guess what happened to Lovey Smith? He got fired with three years left on his deal. I didn't see that coming. So, 
you just don't know. And, and because of that, no, no, no player is guaranteed tomorrow. Um, I think Jameis is probably here for 10 weeks. But to suggest that because Bruce is here, he gets two years with him no matter how he plays, no, I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's the NFL. And if he played poorly enough, I mean, they're sitting here with two wins, okay? You can only have a worse record if you have one like the Jets or zero, you know. Um, so I I think at, at this point, like the Miami Dolphins or the Cincinnati Bengals, I think at this point they're in the market to, you know, be in position to draft a quarterback. Um, so that would even, you know, further make it unlikely that Jameis would be back at that point. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's guaranteed. And um, BA, BA's a, a appearance and arrival here that, you know, in a perfect world, they stay together for a couple of years. And if he plays well enough, if he played really well and that he's not the reason they're losing, then, yeah, maybe he gets a second year. But now um, another game or two like he had in England would probably mean he was done next season, I believe. Well, Kathy takes another tack to it. She says, if the team moves on from Jameis Winston next year, do you think Bruce Arians will be back, or is his tenure entirely dependent on saving Jameis? That's a great question by Kathy, and I'm, I'm glad that she's listening. Kathy, I, I would say this, that, that I don't think B.A.'s tenure is tied to Winston. I think the primary reason he is here, the Glazers wanted to give Winston every opportunity to, you know, to turn the corner. Uh, and he is the you know self-anointed quarterback whisperer. They know his history with, with Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning and Carson Palmer and guys like that. So it made sense from the organizational standpoint if you could get Bruce Arians, a two-time NFL coach of the year out of retirement, to coach your quarterback that you want for all the world to be that franchise guy uh, for many years to come, give him his best chance, right, his last best chance of, of getting over the hump. Um, but Bruce Arians is a good coach whether he coaches Jameis Winston or not. I mean, uh, you know, he made the playoffs with three quarterbacks you probably couldn't name when Carson Palmer got hurt. So uh, I, I think Bruce Arians, his tenure is not, you know, completely tied to Jameis's success or failure this year. Um, now, you know, he is 67 years old. Um, if you're talking about starting over with a rookie quarterback, Maybe that's not as appealing to him um, than, it, than it was thinking that, you know, he's got a fifth-year guy that, you know, turns a corner and, and he can ride with him for a while. Um, but let's see. Let's look around the league. I mean, look at what Kyle Allen is doing. Um, you know, look at uh, uh, Murray with the Cardinals, who's won three in a row now. So, so a lot of these quarterbacks are having success earlier and earlier. And, you know, it's, it, there, there is an excitement around having a new quarterback and you know there are also going to be some free agents out there I mean you know I think Teddy Bridgewater's made himself a lot of money and opportunity if he wanted to um, to test that you know and, and there's going to be others I mean Cam Newton might be available and I'm not saying Cam, Cam Newton's going to be a better option or not but you know every year is different so um, I think I think one they hired a coach to give Jameis his best opportunity but regardless of that Bruce Arians has won with many quarterbacks in his life, and so I don't think his I don't think his future is totally tied to Jameis's. Ellis asks, "Say Winston does not improve and the Bucks decide to move on, which draft eligible quarterback would they realistically have a shot at selecting, and which draft eligible quarterback would be a perfect fit for Bruce Arians' offense?" Well, you know, um, 
it depends on how many games they lost, obviously. And right now they're sitting here with two wins, so they're they're way <laughs> they're way up there in the draft order. Um, if they were to maintain this level of uh, you know of disaster, but you know there's there's going to be some interesting quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, I I still look at a guy like LSU's Joe Burrow. I I think is going to move maybe to the top of the draft. Um, we don't know where. You know, Tua Tagalova is going to go. Um, you know, he, he's had some good games, had some bad games. He may fall. How about a guy like Jalen Hurts? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with what we've seen from from uh, from Murray, you know, from Oklahoma, uh, going to Arizona and winning. Uh, like I said, they've won three in a row, doing well. Lamar Jackson, you know, who's sort of a running running quarterback, can run and throw. Um, you know, success he's had now with the Baltimore Ravens. I think the quarterback position is constantly evolving, and these guys, like I said, they're playing sooner and sooner. I mean, you know, a guy like Jalen Hurts, maybe he didn't go in the top five, but but he goes in the first round, and you know, with the success of the other quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield and others, I mean, he could easily win be the third Heisman quarterback from Oklahoma in, in a row. Um, but think about the pedigree he has, playing at Alabama, winning national championships, all that sort of thing. Um, you know. Maybe that's a guy that interests you. But in order to assure themselves of one, they'd have to probably be ticking, picking in the top five, six. Um, yeah, but the hard you know, part this year use... is, I mean, if, if things go as they've gone so far, with Miami and Cincinnati being the two worst teams, and they sure look mm. like it on the field, you have to yeah. assume they're going to take quarterbacks, each of them. That's right. So your first two picks are going to be quarterbacks. That's right. So, you know, anybody else is down to the third quarterback now in the draft. Which isn't That's a bad true, position yeah. when you've got those three. Plus, you got Justin Herbert from Oregon, and sure. there's a few others too. So it, it's a deep quarterback sure. class. But well, it is, and it just depends on, on: are you happy with the fourth or fifth guy? You know, now there's been teams trade future number ones to get up there in the top five. You know, um, are you willing to have to give give up next year's number one to move uh, to move into that top three or get to get the guy you want? I mean. It, but you're right. As long as Miami, who needs a quarterback, and as long as Cincinnati, who I would assume would be willing to move on from Andy Dalton. With the new coach and not doing as well, yeah. you've got to assume Zach Taylor wants his guy in there. Right. So so that's what hurts you is you got you got bad teams that need quarterbacks. Now, you know, if the New York Jets finish third overall, and they're sitting here at 1-5 now after losing to the Patriots, mm-hmm. you know, they're pretty, they're pretty set with Sam Darnold. So – you know, maybe they're willing to move out of there. You the, know, the Redskins may bit. say they're set with Dwayne Haskins, and exactly, and they might not win. Some, so you need some teams like that that have recently drafted quarterbacks that just haven't won yet, um, that are willing to hang with their guy and and move down or move out. The draft's an interesting thing, and it's always evolving, and we don't know we don't know which quarterback's going to come to the fore. Um, but you know, for for them to draft a quarterback, they'd have to have a pretty crappy record. I mean, you're talking about no more than four wins. Um, and I guess that's possible. They still got Atlanta twice. You know, I was looking at the schedule the other day, and I was thinking, how many games are they going to be favored in? Um, they may not be favored against Tennessee, who just, you know, beat San Diego now with Tannehill quarterbacking. Um, they're not going to be favored at Seattle. They're going to come home against the Arizona Cardinals, which, like I said, as we sit here, they've won three in a row. I assume they may be favored against them. I'm not, not real sure. It's a pretty even game in my mind. Um, then you got a game at Detroit, a game at Jacksonville, uh, home and away with Atlanta. Maybe they'll be favored in those games, but there's not going to be more than two or three games. For entertainment purposes that, only, the Titans favored by two and a half. 
Two and a half. Okay. Well, so that's a, you know, that's really about five. If you consider they're at home, is worth three. So it's it's an even game, um, I suppose. But you know, uh, if you're just playing chalk here, you know the Bucks going to win about four games. Um, but we know they've won five to six, five to seven every year for the last, the exception of you know one season they won nine. But really for the last ten or ten or eleven, twelve years, I mean they won ten games under Raheem, nine under. Dirk Cutter in his first year, and that's been their only two winning seasons, you know, since they since they fired John Gruden. So, um, you know, if everything holds the way it's been in the past, you know, they're they're going to be in that top ten range, and you know, at that point, you just need a little more collateral to get where you want to go for a quarterback. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting um, just to see how that all shakes out. But the next the next couple of weeks, I think, are big for them just to see if. You know, it, it, which direction they're going to go in terms of, you know, will they realize they're out of it and will that change course for anything? I don't think it will for Jameis, but um, certainly could affect just how they look at the future. Gonzo asks, will the Bucks start utilizing O.J. Howard more now that half of the NFL is asking for him? Could a loss this week possibly propel a trade? You know, I've been told, um, and there was a report by Albert Breer on SI.com um, in um, – Monday's Monday morning quarterback that um, the Patriots asked to deal for for OJ Howard. Now the Bucks said no, which which tells you that they probably didn't offer enough, uh, or B they they just don't want to consider it. Remember that the Bucks like OJ Howard. The fact that he hasn't caught a lot of balls isn't really a reflection of how much they like the player. Um, he's done a lot of more. Th- he's played a lot. He's played as much as anybody. You know, he's done some things in the, in the run game that they like. Um, it's on up to them to get him more involved in Arians' offense, which has never really utilized a tight end like that. But they really love the player. I mean, and they have control of him, you know, for potentially three more years. So, you know, why would you trade one of your best players on offense, regardless of who your quarterback's going to be, just to pick up draft picks and hope that you hit on a guy as good as O.J. Howard? I mean, if the whole league wants O.J. Howard, that should tell you you got a pretty good football player. So I don't – unless somebody just, you know, blows them away. Uh, I mean, you spend a number one pick on the guy, why would you trade him for a number one? You'd have to get way more than that. You know, most of these most of these guys like, you know, that you see traded that are former number one picks are giving – they're getting two number ones and then some. What was it Los Angeles gave, you know, for uh, Jacksonville's defensive back? I mean, you got two number ones and a number four. So I don't think anybody has – has offered that just yet. You know, it's kind of like I always compare it to, you know, my house is not for sale. Um, I have no intentions of selling it. But if somebody comes to my door tomorrow and offers me a million dollars, guess what? I'm selling tomorrow. I mean, we're going we're gonna to move. Um, but I don't, also don't see that happening. So um, I think OJ is going to be here. And, and, yes, you know, it should just reaffirm that they have a good football player, that the rest of the league wants them so badly. Um, and, and it really should – you know, improve their resolve to to make him even more productive than he's been to this point. I, I really do think that's been a failure of Bruce Arians and, and Byron Leftwich so far. All right, Zay, I ask, do you think having an inexperienced play caller is affecting the production of O.J. Howard and Mike Evans? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Winston's been a top 10 quarterback his entire career on third down until this year. What do you think is the cause of the shortcomings on third down this year? And should Cameron Brait be used more as well? You know, I, I wonder about Byron Leftwich um, only because this is his first year calling plays in this offense, um, which he knows very, very well. He played in it. it. He should have every advantage as a quarterback. But it still is the first year for them uh, with this group of players. They're still learning Cambrate. They're still learning O.J. Howard, that sort of thing. And, again, you know, this offense hasn't really you know, been a big focal point with the tight end in the passing game at least. As far as third down goes, you know, it's hard to, to pinpoint that sometimes, exactly why you're bad on third down, but they have been. Um, you know, they haven't run the ball consistently. They've run it, but not consistently. And, um, you know, sometimes a down and distance can get you. But much like with O.J. Howard, I mean, I, I, I don't understand why you have a guy like Cam Brait, uh, who's making $7 million a year, uh, whose contract is not guaranteed next year, but is still one of the bigger, you know, more productive third down and, and red zone guys in the league. I mean, his, you know, his touchdown production to, to uh, targets is ridiculous. And so – you know, they need to utilize him. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's up to Byron who, you know, designs the, the game plan, who is the guy that puts together the game plan, who calls the plays. He's got to get those guys going. And, you know, I suggested this, and I don't know if it will happen, but during the bye week they needed to take a look at themselves and say, are we getting our best five eligible on the field um, as much as we can? And, you know, when you go to two tight ends, you, you get a different defensive personnel grouping, right? They may not go to, you know, more, more defensive backs. They may not go to a nickel situation. They may play more base defense on you. Um, that creates certain problems uh, and also certain opportunities. So, you know, what Bruce typically does is when he spreads the field, he has three wide receivers. He has Mike Evans, Chris Godwin in the slot, and then a third guy was Bashard Perriman or Scotty Miller. And those guys have either been injured or not productive or both. You know, I don't know what's happened to Justin Watson. He's been forgotten in this whole thing. He's not even on the field anymore. So obviously they don't think he's very good. Um, but we know Jameis needs, you know, a, a guys with a big catching radius. And the one thing you get with Brayton and Howard is exactly that, along with, you know, Evans and Godwin. Um, so again, uh, you know, it, it is on Leftwich, it is on Bruce Arians, it is on those guys to get their best five guys. And instead of when you spread the field, instead of going with that third wide receiver, you know, you need to probably put those two tight ends with, with Godwin and Evans and, and a running back, and those, those are your five eligible. But we haven't seen that a lot. And we did see it. You know, it's funny, when we did see it in London, it worked. Uh, Braid had a third down catch. O.J. Howard had a 25-yard tight end screen. Um, they just need to do more of it. And I think Jameis is, is, you know, that's the other thing. He's really comfortable throwing to Cam Brait. You know, it's a shame Adam Humphreys is, is in Tennessee, and I think Jameis really misses him, but Humphreys could not play the slot in this offense. Uh, he was too small. He wasn't physical enough. They want their slot receiver to, to, you know, root out linebackers in the run game. And Godwin's willing to do that dirty work and is physical enough to do it. Um, but you can see that, you know, Jameis had such a reliability and comfortability with him on third down that he was their best third down receiver, him and Brait. Now you don't see either one of those guys on the field. So I think, I think there's a, 
sort of a quid pro quo there that without those guys on the field, Jameis is not going to be as good on third down. All right, Les asks, we're almost at the halfway point of the season. So, Rick, who do you have as the best team in the NFC? Who's the biggest Bucks surprise player and the biggest Bucks disappointment? All right, this is a three-parter. I love it. Uh, let's take them as uh, you asked them. About the halfway point of the season, the best team in the NFC, in the NFC, you could look at it and say, well, you know, the 49ers are 6-0, and except I saw the 49ers. Uh, they're doing it with defense. I don't think they're the best team in the NFC. Uh, you know, certainly no one in the NFC East I don't think is very good. Dallas leads that division at, what, 4-3. and three. Philadelphia's gone the other way. Washington is terrible. So I don't really see a, a team in the NFC, you know, in the NFC East. You know, there's some really good teams in the NFC North. I, I really think that's a strong division with Green Bay. And Green Bay is certainly at the very top echelon. Minnesota has come back. They played very, very well of late. Even Detroit's not a bad team. So there's really that's probably the best division in the NFC. But the best team is in the South, and it's the New Orleans Saints. Um, because we're talking about a team, and this is a team that lost Drew Brees for five weeks. And last week they didn't have Alvin Kamara. They didn't have their starting tight end. Um, you know, in the offseason they, they lost one of their running backs. I mean, Sean Payton is far and away the best coach in this division and one of the best coaches in the NFL, maybe one of the top two or three. Um, you know, for him to take Teddy Bridgewater, who hadn't played a lot of football, uh, and sort of craft this offense. And it's not that the, the Saints are doing a lot of different things because, frankly, Drew Brees, you know, over the years has, has you know, had fewer and fewer throws down the field. Um, but for them to go 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater and, uh, you know, you look at how they're doing it, and they're doing it on both sides of the ball. They're dominating on defense, especially on the defensive line. They're able to rush four, get pressure on the quarterback, cover on the back end really well. And then, you know, you look at their offense, and they can run the football. They're very physical. You know, um, obviously Michael Thomas is an elite, elite receiver. They don't have much behind him. Ted Ginn Jr. is just okay. Um, But they get it done, man. And, you know, they've been knocking on the door. We've seen, you know, kind of two horrific endings to their season the last two years. But they've taken a step each year. So for my money, the best team are the Saints, and they're getting Drew Brees back. And I think that'll only make them better. But whether it's Brees or Teddy Bridgewater, they can't. They haven't lost. So, you know, they got one loss, and, 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 um, and they're rolling. So I like them. Uh, as far as the biggest surprise player for the Bucks, hands down, is Shaq Barrett. He might be the surprise player on defense in the NFC. He hasn't had a sack in two weeks, and he's still tied for the, tied for the NFL lead um, with nine. Uh, he's going to have to make adjustments, though, because now he's going to see what you know some of the elite guys go through with, you know, a tight end on their side and a running back chipping on them, and you know, more or less, you know, at times getting triple teamed. Um, so he's going to have to learn how to contend with that, but it'll create opportunity for other other players. And for a guy to come in here on a one-year make a contract, undrafted out of Colorado State, you know, spent four years as as an apprentice to Von Miller and those guys in Denver. I mean, he's just a phenomenal story. So he certainly is the biggest surprise player, not just on the Bucks, but maybe maybe in the whole whole NFC. And then the biggest disappointment, you know, there's a lot of candidates for that, and it depends on how you look at it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I expected a lot more of Devin White, but then, you know, nobody wants to be injured. I mean, the guy from the first game, 
you know, had tonsillitis, had to have a minor, minor surgical procedure on him, um, you know, on his throat before he played the opener. Uh, then he gets hurt with a knee injury. He comes back and, you know, really last week was really only the first or second game he's played all year, made some mistakes. So it makes you to see what he'll do the next next 10 weeks. Um, but, you know, it's disappointment from the standpoint that he hasn't had a fast start because of injuries. Uh, you know, O.J. Howard we talked about simply because he's not getting the football, but uh, has he, he's had some drops. You know, he hasn't played at a very high level. But, again, uh, I think a lot of that is on the play calling. And, then of course, you know, the offensive line has been inconsistent. I mean, they had a really good game against the Rams, missing two starters, but even the, the, the starting players played poorly against Carolina. But I'm going to settle on a guy who really made a couple of plays all year, and they were standout plays. Uh, interception, I think, in, in week one against San Francisco. And then uh, the stop he made on Christian McCaffrey in week two. But we haven't seen anything from Vernon Hargraves since then. And, in fact, we've seen him give up just a ton of points. And a ton, a ton of, not points, but, but plays in the passing game, you know, deep shots. And, you know, is it all on him? Sometimes guys are out of position and whatnot. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. But... You know, this was the defense Vernon Hargraves wanted, right? He wanted man coverage, was supposed to suit his skills. And even though he's only hadn't played a lot of football, he's only really had two seasons out of the four that he's been hurt, uh, he is the veteran guy back there. And he is the guy that's supposed to be a ball hawk and, and have a lot of swag and this kind of stuff. And uh, he's been picked apart. And, you know, teams are throwing for 305 yards a game. Uh, and if you're if you're a shutdown corner, you're the number one cornerback in the NFL on a team in the NFL. You got to play big, and you got to make plays. You can't give up plays. And I see him giving up a ton of plays. Um, so I'm gonna say at this point, Hargraves, who they picked up a fifth year option, it's guaranteed only against injury, but it's almost ten million dollars. They're not getting you know what they would hope to get from him if he's back a fifth year, and. Uh, you know, with the way the defense is going, I'm, I'm going to say it's Hargraves. All right, we got a uh, baseball question, and Carl asks, if Wander Franco is as good as they say he is, do the Rays trade him or Willie Adamas? Or do they move one of them to third to solidify that corner? Yeah, I'm going to go with answer D, which he didn't mention, none of the above. Um, <clears throat> and you know this, Steve, you can weigh on this as well. When you, you know, a couple of things about this question. One, Willie Adamas was the most improved player during a single season that I've ever seen. Um, when you look at where he came from at the beginning of the year to where he finished in the postseason, I mean, he was like – he became Mr. October for these guys. I mean, he just lit up uh, both defensively and offensively. I mean, clutch home runs, you know, big at bats, embraced the moment, uh, excited to play, brought lots of energy, made great plays in the field. I mean – I think his, he secured his future, I think, with the Rays. Now, you could ask yourself, well, you, you know, can you have two shortstops? Well, yeah, you can. You just got to play one someplace else. And I would think one or, or both can probably play another position in the infield, second base in particular. Um, but from what I hear about Wander Franco, no one's trading him because he's the number one prospect in a yeah. long time in baseball. So, I mean, you find a way to live with these guys, right? I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I think it's a good problem to have. Well, the good thing about shortstops is you can pretty much move them anywhere. They're generally one of the more athletic players on your team based on the range you have to have to play shortstop. They've got a good arm. 
because you have to throw it away to get to first quickly. So, you know, you've got Brandon Lau at second base going forward. So one yeah. of them playing third base, absolutely. But could you move him to a corner in outfield or two? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of a, a lot of teams you'll see in the when you get to draft time, and most people don't pay attention to the major league draft, but pitchers, you'll get some outfielders and a lot of shortstops drafted early, and some catchers too, mm-hmm. because a lot of guys start out as shortstops and then move to second base, third base, outfield, first base, you name it. But the shortstops are generally the best athletes on the team or one of them in any high school team and youth team and all that. So you can't have enough shortstops, period. You know, I, I think a perfect example of what you're talking about is Manny Machado. When he played with Baltimore, he, had, he moved to third base and mm-hmm. won, what, a couple gold gloves over there. Look at Alex uh, Rodriguez with the Yankees. When the, perfect, you know, perfect. You know, with Jeter at shortstop, he moved to third base. That's right. And these are gold glove shortstops. So... Uh, yeah, they're capable of doing a lot of great things in the infield and, and winning gold gloves at other positions. So, uh, yeah, they, they they would be thrilled. <laughs> thrilled to have those two guys uh, future uh, somewhere in the infield. With I, them. I'd love I think, to see that left side of the infield be those two. Oh, it'd be so solid. I mean, you got Brendan yeah, Lyle there. You figure out your first baseman long term. It's exciting. I mean, look, if you're a Rays fan and you just went through this year, I was at, I was at game four, and game three was the same way. I mean, there's so much – energy in the building i think these young guys proved a lot not just to baseball but to themselves you know we talked about this the other night i mean imagine a season where where blake snell you know and uh tyler glass now tyler you know glass now are healthy throughout a whole year and, and then you get even even a fraction of what you got from charlie morton as your three top starters and and you know you got a bunch of other good arms uh guys that are going to emerge in that starting rotation which I still think, you know, and John Romano wrote about this, I still think that this opener thing is, is born of necessity and it's been successful and mm-hmm. all that. But the teams that get deep in the playoffs have those three horses, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they have three guys that can absolutely come out and dominate a game for six or seven innings before they turn it over uh, in playoff baseball. So um, this uh, Rays, the Rays fans should be excited. This was an unbelievable year. It was an unbelievable atmosphere in the Trop, and hopefully – they won over a lot of fans that will come and, and watch them during the regular season next year um, because this is, this is going to be an exciting, exciting team and a fun team to watch for many, many years. All right, Mike asks, the Willie Taggart experiment just isn't working at Florida State, and everybody can see that. What will it take for the two sides to come together and agree to part ways? This is one of the easier questions I've had. It'll take about $18 million. <laughs> Because that's, I mean, if you got it laying around, folks, that's the buyout. So, yeah, if you want to get rid of Willie Taggart, he needs he needs 18 large. And that money's just not laying around on a bunch of boosters' bank accounts. So it's going to take a whole lot of deep pockets, all agreeing that they're in for more than a dime or a dollar, that they're in for $18 million. Uh, that's been the issue from the beginning. Now, you know, there's been some talk. I think my friend J.P. Peterson might have said something, but, you know, he's – plugged in allegedly to Florida State boosters or whatever, but um, that there's more of a movement afoot now um, after this last debacle. And, and frankly, I don't see how many more games they're going to win uh, this, the rest of the year, but let's assume they have another losing season, uh, don't make a bowl game. I mean, these kind of things, it's going to start to stack up on, on Willie Taggart. And I, I also don't think that Willie has a deep enough resume, you know, enough success, enough – enough meat on his coaching bone uh you know he he kind of he kind of hit it overnight at usf with quentin flowers i mean i like i say this all the time me and tom had a radio show 
Uh, you might have heard about Steve that uh, uh, we we would talk to Willie on Tuesdays, and at one point they were like three and four, and he switched to Quentin Flowers, and we were, we were looking at each other going, How, do we ask him if he feels like he's, he's on the hot seat? I mean, do we ask him if he feels like he's getting fired? And they turned it around, and that, that earned him a job at Oregon for one season, and then Boomy's at Florida State, and it was a meteoric rise. Well, it can be just as fast of a fall. Uh, I just don't think there's enough wins behind him to make you think that this job isn't too big for him. And so because of that, uh, I'm, I'm trending that something will probably happen after this year. Um, but again, it's, it's always been a financial problem for Florida State. We know their finances aren't good to begin with. Um, but that's what it's going to take. It's yep. going to take $18 million. That's the only thing. I think if they had it, that they would definitely make a move. It sure feels like, you know, and maybe time will tell if he gets another season in that, but it sure feels like it's kind of like Brady Hoke at Michigan where mm-hmm. somebody who that's their dream job mm-hmm. uh, played or coached there and would do anything to get back, and they say mm-hmm. all the right things so the fan base gets excited over it, but it's really not the best hire. And that's right. what, you know, Brady Hoke was – a tremendous guy at Michigan and everyone loved him. So when he wanted to come back and, you know, he joked that, you know, I would walk to Michigan to get this job. Michigan man. Yeah. You know, you know and then, and so the fan base, you know, oh, he's a Michigan man. We love him, but he wasn't the best hire. It was, mm. but he said all the right things. And so you get excited over it. And I almost wonder if, you know, Willie is either too soon or just not the right guy for that. And, you know, maybe they'll buy him out this year. If not, maybe he gets another year and does turn it around. We'll see, but Yeah. Well, there definitely is going to be a discussion, but again, I think so much of that will be finances that, but we know that college football is run by boosters, you know, so they're the ones that pay the freight and, you know, anyway, um, and Florida State in particular, needing, need, you know, they can't have empty stadiums. You know, here's the other thing. It, it becomes a financial problem. I mean, if you're not drawing fans in football, uh, that carries all your athletic programs. So. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need to be successful, and they've invested a lot into that program. So they need a return on it, and that return is wins and bowl games and getting back in the championship series, which, which pays you a gazillion dollars. I, I think we're coming down to that decision. I just don't know what, what the finances will be. All right, finally, we'll wrap up with this. Brian asks, did Lovey text you after the Wisconsin game? <laughs> See, that's mean. That's mean because you're a listener and you know that I'm a closet Wisconsin fan. My wife went there and we watched them all the time. Uh, and I was stunned and not even really happy for Lovey Smith. I mean, I like Lovey Smith, but I don't like him that much. But uh, no, he did not text me. In fact, he didn't text me after he was fired. So, you know, that's kind of the relationship we have. Uh, I think he said thanks when I uh, offered to, to talk to him afterwards and, you know, wished him luck but um lovey don't want to talk about tampa bay and frankly i don't want to talk about lovey but it was a huge win for them in illinois to say the very least i don't think they had beaten a top 10 team in about 100 years Um, now whether they can turn that into anything or not who knows he's recruited some good players from here though a couple east lake eagles on that team but wisconsin threw that game away I, i still can't get over i mean they had you know and again, I wasn't a big fan of their quarterback Cohen. I, I I just I'm okay with him, but that seems to be what holds them back every year. It really does. It seems like you they're a quarterback away. You know, Hornybrook because at Florida State was that guy, couldn't get him over the hump. They had a really good team. They could, they could always run the ball, right? They produce Heisman Trophy candidates at running back. We know they're going to have. You should draft the Wisconsin offensive lineman every year in the NFL. 
Um, they come up with pretty good receivers and tight ends as well. Play great defense. I mean, Jim Leonard's maybe the best defensive coordinator. I mean, here's a team that led the nation in defense. They had like four shutouts, for God's sakes. And they lose, lose to Illinois. They blow an 11-point lead, and the quarterback throws, you know, just a ridiculous interception in midfield on third down when if they punt the ball, they probably hold them. But, hey, good for Lovey. I'm still waiting on my text message, but I didn't text him, so it's possible that uh, that we don't exchange uh, we don't exchange messages. But what are the chances, Steve? You think Wisconsin actually beats Ohio State this week? Uh, slim. Really? Yeah, I I think Ohio State. Uh, just just, so Justin better. Fields is uh, doing everything he was projected to do when he was a five star recruit at Georgia. Um, he looks special. You know. I, I just think I think Ohio State's rolling right now. That I, it is a good defense, though. I mean, when they play right, that's a hell of a defense mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin. I don't think Wisconsin can score with them. Is, is I'm, I'm with you on that. They'll try to muddy up the game, though. They'll try to make it an ugly game. No, yeah, I mean, that's what Wisconsin does. So yeah, to everybody, that's their style. You know, they they want to muddy it up and t- time you know time of possession and just hold on the ball and keep you off the field. Mm-hmm. And they do it well. Yeah, yeah. But as for Lovey. Hey, good good luck, Illinois. You know, good for them. <laughs> That's a mean question, though, by the way, but thanks for it. <laughs> so some great questions there. We appreciate all the love. You don't have to wait for a mailbag uh, episode to contact us or ask us questions. You can always do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Got some great guests coming up for you this week. We'll have the lovely, the talented Chris Torello from Bay News 9 Spectrum Sports 360. That's a long, long word um, there. But Chris is a funny guy and an insightful guy and a great talent, and we'll have him on the uh, podcast tomorrow. We're going to have Matt Baker, of course, talk about college football. The World Series, Game 1, is tonight. Uh, The Houston Astros taking on, of course, the Washington Nationals in in what is just going to be spectacular pitching series, I think, uh, really for both teams. And what else we got uh, the rest of the week? Of course, the Bucks are beginning preparations for their game at Tennessee. We're going to have a chance to maybe talk to Jason Pierre-Paul today. So we'll be uh, standing by for that, see if he's going to play this week. And then, of course, uh, they go to Tennessee, and it will not be Marcus Mariota against Jameis Winston, but it'll be Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly visit with Jameis, see what the Bucks have learned during their bye week and what changes, if any. Uh, Bruce Arians plans on having uh, when they go to uh, meet the Titans. So a lot coming up this week. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, uh, we're here Monday through Friday, and uh, we love doing it. So love your feedback as well. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.